Christianity is not a philosophical claim about how to live a good life. It's not a practical framework on how to raise moral kids and find inner peace. Christianity at its heart is about history. God really did send his son into the world at a specific point in time to die for sin and then raised him from the dead three days later to secure redemption and salvation for all who believe. The gospel is good news, not good advice. When the Allies declared victory in World War II, they were not giving their opinion or sharing practical life hacks. They were declaring that something happened and the course of history was changed. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the watershed event of human history. And Christ's lordship is not a matter of opinion, but historical fact. And because Christ has been raised, we too will be raised. That is our great hope. This is Understanding 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians follows a trajectory. The cross leads to resurrection. Humility leads to exaltation. Weakness brings forth the power of God. We are by nature glory seekers, and Christianity is not about avoiding power or glory, but seeking them in the right way. And God flips the world's paradigm upside down. So the Corinthians exalted themselves, not because their vision of glory was too great, but too dim, too small. They didn't aim high enough. They didn't realize that to humble yourself before the Lord is to be exalted by him, that he will lift up the humble and he's against the proud. So God is teaching us the proper way to seek the highest glory. So dying to self is the pathway to life. Following Christ and bearing your cross will allow you to share in his resurrection and glory. And it's the resurrection of Christ that vindicates the wisdom of the cross. It is a public declaration that Jesus was not a fool. He was not a fraud. He was not some terrible example of a suffering servant who gets nowhere, but rather he is the true king. And through his suffering and disobedience, he has defeated death and shown God's victory over sin. So as I read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 34, pay attention to the ways in which Paul connects the resurrection of Christ to our eternal hope. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, my brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. Paul reminds the Corinthians that the gospel, the good news, is about something that happened in human history. It happened to a real man who was God in the flesh, named Jesus Christ, and he really did rise three days later after his death. It is this historical fact, and not emotional experiences, intellectual abstractions, or spiritual highs that grounds the foundation of the Christian faith. We stand in Christ and are being redeemed in Christ. Therefore, we must hold fast to Christ. Our faith is the band that holds on to the diamond that is Christ. We must continually believe. We must continually trust in Christ. He's the only hope we have of salvation. So it's a historical message that must be continually trusted in. And this means getting the message right. It means knowing what is of first importance concerning the gospel. And Paul delivers to the Corinthians what he received from others, that Christ died and rose again on the third day, appeared to Cephas, meaning Peter, the twelve, five hundred eyewitnesses, some of whom are still alive, just in case you're skeptical and need some confirmation, James, the brother of Jesus, other apostles, which refers to a wider circle of quote-unquote sent ones, that's what apostle means, by Christ, and last of all to Paul, a former persecutor of this church. So all of these eyewitnesses, all these people that can verify the resurrection are listed. And all of this happened in accordance with the Old Testament scriptures. Isaiah 53 speaks of a suffering servant who dies for the sins of his people. Psalm 20 is about a faithful servant who suffers and feels forsaken by God. Psalm 16, which Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2 to defend the resurrection, speaks of another faithful servant who trusts in the Lord 
in his suffering, knowing that he will not be abandoned to death and corruption. And if you put all these together, you have Christ, the suffering servant who dies for his people and is vindicated by God, not by being preserved from death, but by conquering it once and for all by going through death out the tomb into his resurrection. So God has preserved his Holy One by resurrecting him from the dead. His body has not seen corruption and he has has been raised up as the true Messiah. So God is fulfilling what he has promised through the whole Old Testament in Jesus Christ. This is a paradigm shifting reality. And it's only something so radical that could change Paul, who was an enemy of the church, into one of the great church planners and missionaries and theologians in the entire history of the church. And Paul recognizes that. He says, look, I'm the least of the apostles. I was the last guy that Jesus showed up to, right, on the road to Damascus. He doesn't have a great track record. But he says, by the grace of God, I'm outworking everyone. That's how motivated I am. I recognize that it's only by God's grace, and God's grace is what pushes me and propels me forward and and makes me dedicate my life to preaching the gospel. Now, Paul receives this message as a tradition. The structure of these verses is like that of something passed down, something easily memorized, something that's short and concise. Now, it takes many years for a saying like this to be established as a tradition. So for Paul to have received this message and then passed it on as a tradition to the Corinthians, that requires it to have predated him by a significant amount. It must go back multiple decades. So if Paul wrote 1 Corinthians sometime in the 60s, uh, then Jesus would have died roughly 30 years earlier, around 30, 33 AD. So for this traditional summary to make the rounds and to be something established in the minds of the church, it probably would have been composed roughly three years after Christ's actual resurrection. That way it's composed and then it's circulating around and Paul can actually have it as a well-known tradition. And the fact that we can likely date this so early means there's not a lot of time for errors to creep in or embellishments or legendary aspects. In fact, there's people who are still living, like Paul says, who can verify whether or not he was raised and whether the tomb was empty. So this is a summary of real events within human memory, and and, and it's very secure, this line of transmission. So Paul is passing down something that is not some kind of philosophy, but a report, a concise summary of events that can be verified by eyewitnesses. Okay, so the resurrection happened. So what? Why does it matter if Jesus was raised from the dead? Well, that's the second point that he makes in verses 12 to 34. If Christ was raised from the dead, then we too will be raised from the dead. Now, it was standard orthodoxy for Jews in the first century to believe in a final resurrection, that at the end of human history, God would come on the day of the Lord and execute his final judgment. He'd put everything to right. He would judge the living and the dead. And this is why in John chapter 11, Martha tells Jesus that she knows her brother Lazarus will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. She's referring to that common part of Jewish theology and of Old Testament theology. But some Corinthian Christians, while believing that Jesus himself rose from the dead, find that final resurrection a bit much to swallow. Maybe they were too spiritual for that. And Paul will have none of this. It's either all or nothing. If Christ is raised, then we're going to be raised. You can't have one or the other. And if there's no final resurrection and dead people can't rise from the grave, then Jesus, who died, never rose. 
And if Jesus never rose, then our message is a lie. We're misrepresenting God. Our preaching is in vain. Our eternal hope is gone. Dead people stay dead and sin still reigns. If Christ has not been raised, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul raises the stakes. He's saying this is life or death, right? If, if Jesus was not raised, there is no hope. The, the, ga- the game is over. Everything hinges upon this resurrection. But here's the good news, right? Here's the gospel. Christ has been raised, and that ensures that we too will be raised as well. Christ is described as the first fruits of a future harvest of humanity. He's a foretaste of our future state. So Adam brought death, but Christ, the second Adam, brings life. But here's the catch. It doesn't all happen at once. Christ is raised first, then we are raised at his second coming, And then the end comes when God hands over the kingdom to the incarnate Christ who reigns as king on David's throne. But before the kingdom comes in full, God destroys every one of Christ's enemies. Then at our resurrection, death, the final enemy, is destroyed. So God is subjecting all things under Christ, and Christ, with regard to his glorified human nature, subjects himself to God, right? Every good and perfect human king submits himself to God. Christ is the perfect human king, and therefore he's going to submit himself to God. Now, this is all in reference to his human nature. So, our risen king in the line of David, the incarnate Christ, reigns, and he reigns over the kingdom that God has gifted to him. He is the king David, the king Solomon, the king Hezekiah, but perfected. He is what all of them failed to be. And the work of redemption is complete and life conquers death when we are raised and we inherit the kingdom of God in the new heavens and the new earth. And this leads Paul to question why some Christians are baptizing the dead if there's no resurrection. We don't know exactly what this practice is. And Paul neither condemns nor condones it. But the point shouldn't be missed. Whatever the practice means, Christians are baptizing physical bodies, physical dead bodies. Now, why do that if you doubt that there's a final resurrection, right? That makes no sense. The fact that you're baptizing physical bodies means that God has a future for those physical bodies. And Paul even says, why do I even suffer at the hands of beasts in Ephesus for preaching the gospel? Why why don't we all just eat and drink for tomorrow we die, right? Death is the end. There's no future state. It's over. We go into the grave. We stay in the grave. It makes no sense to suffer for the gospel, to preach the gospel, to give up earthly goods, unless Christ really did rise from the dead, and we really will too. The Apostle Paul really believed the resurrection. It animated everything in his life. And Paul says, look, if this is true, get away from the doubters and the skeptics, right? Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor of unbelief. Stop sinning and live in light of this reality. Christ has risen and we will too. And that means everything changes. Paul wants us to get our minds clear, to recognize that this event affects all aspects of our life and all aspects of human history. And if we allow this to be filled with doubt, if we start to deny the resurrection, we're denying the very core message of Christianity. This is about history. This is about something that God has done. And what he has done echoes throughout all of human history, all the way into eternity.